Welcome to the All In Gospel Bible Study. Each week, we move chapter by chapter through the Bible towards a comprehensive understanding of what the Bible teaches. All In Gospel is recorded live in White Bear Lake, Minnesota, featuring Dr. Sean Dickers. First Chronicles chapter 22 is where we left off. As a summary and context, First Chronicles 1 through 12 gives all the genealogies of Israel and the various families that are coming uh, from Babylon that are being recruited to come back to Israel after um, being taken away to Babylon for 70 years. Chapters 13 through 17 really have a theme of how to follow God's lead, how to inquire of the Lord and ask the Lord. And when you don't inquire of the Lord, things go bad. When you do inquire of the Lord, things go well. Chapters 18 through 21 David has been succeeding and failing at this thing of inquiring of the Lord. And really the narrative of David is minimized, but the nation itself gets highlighted by the writer of Chronicles. So they're trying to establish this is what a nation does if it's attempt to following God's word or not. We've seen in Chronicles a fixed point of reference, God's word. And regardless of what's happening around the kingdom, the culture, everything else, God's word simply doesn't change. For example, the rules around moving the ark, even though there had been 400 years, Uzzah gets killed because they ignored the fact that God's word doesn't change, even though the culture around moving arks does change. So as they're looking at this, and as we look at how the writer's setting this up, in chapter 21, David takes a census, but it's against God's word and God's law. He then responds and brings consequence. The beautiful part about it is in the consequence, God sets up this image of sin being stopped on Mount Mount Moriah after three days. And he sets up just this particular location and blesses Israel with something they didn't know before, which is where to build the temple. They knew to build the temple in Jerusalem. They knew to build the temple, but they didn't know where to build the temple. So we saw that in the last chapter, verse 18, they were supposed to build it on Mount Moriah. And literally an angel points at it with a sword and fire comes from heaven and says, build the altar here. And so David builds an altar and that's what we see. That's where we pick up in chapter 22, verse 1. Then David said, this is the house of the Lord God and this is the altar of burnt offering for Israel. So David commanded to gather the aliens who were in the land of Israel and he appointed masons to cut hewn stones to build the house of God. And David prepared iron in abundance for the nails of the doors and the gates and for the joints and bronze in abundance beyond measure and cedar trees in abundance for the Sidonians and those from uh, Tyre brought much cedar wood to David. It's interesting that as the chroniclers are bringing together this history book of the nation, I think they're highlighting here, you might rate it different, but I think they're highlighting here that it wasn't just Jews that helped build the temple. And that we have this whole starting leading paragraph here about gathering the aliens. That's not space aliens, Grant. Aliens just means non-Jews that are living in Israel and in the land. And David just puts them to work. You can help build this thing of God. So the building of the temple wasn't Jewish only. Uh, it had included Gentiles. There's no issue with Jewish with Gentiles being part of the construction. Um, the temple is a temple for God and for the world, and that's the presentation of Chronicles. It's not just for Jewish people. So it's amazing by the time we get to Jesus how they've started to treat Gentiles at that time. By Jesus' time, they're totally rejecting them. They're goy. They have nothing to do with it. And the Jewish people have forgotten how important the temple is as a message to the world. 
Here we see stones, iron, bronze. David has been told he can't build the temple because he's a man of war. We'll see that tonight. But he starts setting aside absolutely everything he can do to build the temple. And David fought during that time, so the iron and the blacksmithing was outlawed by the Philistines. And since that time, now he's accumulating these nails and getting his blacksmiths trained in through the making of this temple. So at this point also, with the addition of Tyre and Sidon, helping out with the cedar trees, verse 4, that means the Philistines are subdued and actually helping to build the temple. And this is something David does. He takes enemies and he makes them into friends. And, he, and there's a conversion. So the cedar trees here would be these long-growth cedar at its breast. Best cedar is rot-resistant. It is shapeable and moldable. It smells incredible. And well-treated cedar looks amazing. So if you want to, like, well, we have cedar pillars here in the room. So you can get a sense of untreated cedar. But when you sand it down, it just smells amazing. Now David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous and glorious throughout all countries. I will now make preparations for it. So David made abundant preparations before his death. We've seen the word abundant there a few times. It basically means without count. Like David just went all out to do this, knowing that Solomon's young and inexperienced doesn't stop David from setting Solomon up. Just because he said, God said David couldn't do it doesn't mean David can't bless the ministry that's coming after him. This is where they shared the time. I imagine David and Solomon got to know each other, sitting over the plans, talking through the process. As David, this is one of the things David just gave to his son was this mission and this vision for what needs to be done. Verse 6, then we get an image of that. Then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build the house for the Lord God of Israel. The word charge there is interesting. This isn't a command, and it isn't necessarily like a request. It's like a holy or a spiritual um, onus that David puts on him. So David has had something on his heart, and he charges Solomon with that thing that goes on his heart. It's a really unique word. And he basically says to Solomon, this is a thing that gets, needs to get done, and I'm handing that off to you. And, but it still needs to get done. And Solomon faithfully does complete this. Verse 7, And David said to Solomon, My son, as for me... It was in my mind to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me saying, You've shed much blood and have made great wars, and you shall not build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. It's an odd thing because David fought those battles because God told him to fight those battles. Yet God wants this temple to be a temple of peace, and he wants a man of peace to construct the temple. And if the temple is an image of what Jesus is going to do, Jesus says he would, if you tear down this temple, I'll rebuild it in three days. But Jesus was a man of peace. And the building of temples in God's kingdoms is always done by a man of peace. David's not. That's not what he's called to. But this isn't as, it, the fact that David had fought these battles isn't seen as like a negative or a sin. It's just, you can't do the work that I need you to do to have that image be right. Same thing when uh, Moses was supposed to strike the rock once and he struck it more than once. And God got upset with him because God cares about these images. They're very important because they point to Jesus. So David, unlike Moses, obeys God in this and he doesn't build the temple. And the temple then becomes something that gets, is a gift from God that gets built in peace. And the peace that Solomon has is provided by God. In the same way that when Jesus builds the temple of, of, of the kingdom of God, 
that that's built by Jesus and it's a gift from God. It's not something that we did on our own. So if David gathers and Solomon builds, just a thought, neither one of them can really claim credit for the temple. We often call this the Temple of Solomon, but David did everything to get it ready. So Solomon knows in his heart he didn't really do this. So who gets the credit then for building the temple is God because he does it multi-generationally. So David's at peace and he knows God provided the peace. Solomon has got all the materials and he, know that, he knows that David provided the materials. Um, and it's not supposed to be in the name of Solomon. It says here, you shall not build a house for my name. So when God talks about this, the temple is not Solomon's temple, it's God's temple. And the temple is for all nations of the world. Verse 9, Behold, a son shall be born to you. <laughs> Again, he's talking about a temple being built for his name, God's name. And then he says, A son shall be born to you, who shall be a man of rest, another word for peace. And I will give him rest from all his enemies around him. His name shall be Solomon, for I will give peace and quietness to Israel in his days. So again, God provides the peace. He shall build, for, build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and, and he will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. What's interesting is between verse 9 and verse 10, there's a period. And that period is, moves us from a prediction about Solomon to then referencing a he, which you could read it as Solomon, but it also reads very prophetically. It's almost like God wants to separate the image of the plan from the plan itself. The temple then isn't built by might or power. It's built by a spirit of peace. And in the verse 10, it's built forever. So not until Babylon levels it, or, or if Persia's rebuilding it, it's to be rebuilt. This temple's there forever. So until God comes and establishes a kingdom, Israel has a job. This is the message of Ezra and Nehemiah. And as Ezra's priests are putting together the Chronicles, this is exactly what he's talking about. Israel has a job to build a temple, and just because that temple's torn down by the time this book gets written doesn't mean the temple's not important. And that's part of what this book is all about. So for Jews today, <laughs> the temple's not built. And for, for Jews that read their scriptures, this becomes something that's, that's an eternal mandate for the Jewish people, unique to the Jewish people. So as they're looking at Jerusalem as of 2023, they're seeing a Jerusalem that does not have a temple in it. So what they've been doing, the Institute of, of um, the Temple, uh, what is, what's the name of them? Temple. temple Institute. Temple Institute has gathered all the materials, just like David did. They've gathered and made all the implements, just like David did. They've got it all set up. They've got architectural plans. So as of today, the Temple Institute people have everything prepped as, of, as like David did for Solomon. All they're doing is waiting for the go-ahead. And they think that they could build the temple in under two years by today's technology if they get the go-ahead and they get the location. So if you don't believe Jesus was God's son establishing a new temple and you're Jewish and you're conservative and you're reading this text, I'm going to read verse 10 again. He shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son. I will be his father and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever, meaning 2023. They absolutely have the, if you're not a Jesus follower and you're Jewish, you would read that text and say, we, just like Ezra and Nehemiah did, our job is to rebuild this temple because it's been taken down. So David speaking again, a father to his, to his son, David says in verse 11, now my son, may the Lord be with you. May you prosper 
and build a house of the Lord your God as he has said to you. Oh, by the way, I'm going to read this. This whole thing that Solomon says is like what a father would say to a son. Being a father of a son, this is the heart that I think most dads have for their kids. They just don't know how to say it as well as David did. But this is what we want for our kids. My son, may the Lord be with you. Number one, may you walk with the Lord. And may you prosper and build a house of the Lord your God. He has said to you, only may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding and give you charge concerning Israel. May you take up the mission that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Verse 13, then you will prosper. And if you take care to fulfill the statutes and judgments which the Lord has charged Moses concerning Israel and be strong and of good courage, do not fear, do not be dismayed. What a great list. Real shortly, that you're with the Lord, that you prosper, build a house, wisdom, understanding, taking up the charge, keeping the law, fulfill the statutes and judgments, be strong and have courage. That's the hope that parents have for kids. It's also the hope that David has for Solomon, and to be quite frank, the hope that God has for all of us. May these things be what you have. So when the Bible talks about blessings, like we did this morning, there's a whole list of blessings that God wants his people to have. A sacred charge that Solomon has, an eternal charge that Israel has. I love that David basically prays for his son to prosper, build a house, have wisdom, have understanding, keep the law of God. These are the things that will lead you to a life where you are strong and courageous and fearless. Verse 14, Indeed, I've taken much trouble to prepare for the house of the Lord 100,000 talents of gold and 1 million talents of silver and bronze and iron beyond measure, for it is so abundant. I've prepared timber and stone also, and you may add to them. Chronicles has explained in chapters 18 through 20 how David got all of these materials. Now David's just saying to Solomon, I've gathered everything you need. You got no excuse. Here's the other thing. When we as children of God get the mandate from God to live for God, God provides everything we need to do the mandate. And I think that's amazing. He doesn't ask of us anything he hasn't prepared us to do. And David, as he's handing this off to his son, becomes an image of that. David's passionate about building the house of the Lord, but he's, he knows that 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 task is an intergenerational task. I'm going to read from Ephesians 2.19, a New Testament passage that's really similar to this idea. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God. Again, the wish David had is that you build the house of the Lord. And built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the, the building fitly framed together unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. For us Christians, we are the house of God. We're the building that God's trying to make. And he's provided each of us as a piece of that building that gets put together. And the way Jesus takes this image of the temple as to be the temple of God is God's going to bring together believers. And in that sense, um, I don't think it's an accident that any of us are in the room tonight. We all have something to offer to each other. We all have a blessing to give to one another. And God brings us together as people to walk through life together with. So we share things. We admonish each other. We encourage each other. We build each other up because we're building up a house unto the Lord with a firm foundation of the word of God. And that, that idea gets mirrored here back in the Chronicles. Verse 15, 
Moreover, there are workmen with you in abundance, woodsmen, stonecutters, and all types of skilled men for every kind of work. David's gathered the right people. Of gold and silver and bronze and iron, there's no limit. Arise and begin working, and the Lord be with you. When it comes to the, like, the people are all gathered and ready to go, and when it comes to the money, I think this is, again, if we're thinking of this imagery, there's no need to be concerned with the money. The gold and the silver, there's no, that's abundant. And God says the same to us. He'll provide for whatever ministries he wants us to go do. And he'll set all that up. So David, and David or this image of, of the father gives to Solomon or an image of the son a gift of having a purpose in life. What a beautiful thing. So arise and begin working is the way that ends. It's exactly what Christ says to us too. He says, arise and go. Get up and do the thing. Luke 17, 19. Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. That's what he says to somebody. And the paralytic. And, and God gives us everything we need to do it. Acts twenty two ten. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? Isn't that the question we all have as believers? What do you want me to do, God? And he says, and the Lord said to me, arise and go into Damascus. There it should be told you all things which are appointed for you to do. Just go where God's telling you to go. And everything will come along the way. We have God's word. We have God's truth. We have God's love. We have God's righteousness. And we have God's body. Arise and go and start doing what you're doing. Ephesians 6, 14. Stand therefore, having girded your waist in truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You got everything you need to go build the house and do the work. David also commanded all the leaders of Israel to help Solomon, his son. This is political. <laughs> you know, if David's getting old, he starts a project where the, he can appoint Solomon. Notice that Chronicles skips everything about the rebellions and Absalom and Adonijah. And they just skip over all that because the purpose of Chronicles is building the temple. So David commanded all the leaders of Israel, help Solomon his son, saying, It is not the Lord your God with you, is not the Lord your God with you, and has not, he not given you rest on every side, for he has given the inhabitants of the land into my hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord and before his people. Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Interesting. It's not set your heart to build a temple. It's set your heart to seek the Lord your God. It just so happens that temple building is the, the next activity. But the, the, the heart of it all is to seek God. Therefore, arise and build the sanctuary of the Lord your God to bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and the holy articles of God into the house that is being built for the name of the Lord. David has now done absolutely everything he can do, just shy of construction. So obeying God, but also helping with the work. David will not get credit for this temple. His name doesn't get attached to it. His name's attached to the throne, but Solomon will get much more accolades for the temple. Which gives us a lesson. If we, if we look at David as one of the heroes of the faith, this is a guy who works incredibly hard to do a work that he's not going to get any credit for. He's a helper. And the obedience and the humble persistence of David is probably one of Davis's, David's greatest deeds. Yet he's known for using a slingshot on a giant. Great deed, wonderful deed. He did it when he was a kid. His life's work, or a large part of it, was to get the borders of Israel established and give Solomon everything he needed to do the great work of building the temple. And that's a humility that I think is wonderful and beautiful. David's known for writing songs, those psalms that he gets added to the psalm tree, but he's not known for the construction work that he does. 
And the obedience of David to do that and the persistence of David to follow through on that is actually pretty wonderful. And we think of the work we have to do in the kingdom sometimes. It's not glorious. It's not wonderful. It's just menial kinds of things. But God watches every minute of that menial work. And he says, that's precious to me. So set your heart and soul uh, and to seek the Lord your God. Even in the work of building, it's the setting of our hearts that's important. Then we go to chapter 23. So when David was old and full of days, he made his son Solomon king over Israel. Again, in one sentence, we skip chapters of the book of Kings, right? Just right over it. Or is it Samuel? Samuel. And he gathered together all the leaders of Israel with the priests and the Levites. And now the Levites were numbered from age 33 years and above. And the number of individual males was 38,000. Of these, 24,000 were to look after the work of the house of the Lord. 6,000 were officers and judges. 4,000 were gatekeepers. 4,000 praised the Lord with musical instruments, which I made, said David, for giving praise. All right, so much for humility. Um, David does take credit for making those instruments. So uh, this is a king that makes instruments. What a great thing. Um, really, this is part of the preparations for the temple, too. Uh, he sets it up so there's not going to be a, a conflict over who gets the throne. We know from the other history books there was conflict around the throne. In Chronicles, that part's just there. Katie, can you get Timber the dog to settle down somewhere? Um, notice the priests start at age 30. I just think this is amazing. These are people that got married at 14, 15 years old, and they're of age by that age. But the, the Levites don't even start their ministry until age 30. Think about that. That gives a lot of you kind of a break if you want to use that as a standard. But we'll keep reading, and David's going to lower the age of service here in a second. The idea is that for 30 years, they learn, they study the Word of God, they start their families. Levitic priests got married. They started families. And three, they have some experience to share before they go into the ministry. They're not trying to tell people how to live before they've actually had a time to live. And so there's kind of a break there that they get. David numbers 38,000. Uh, clearly, this is Jerusalem. This is the national center. Uh, the endeavor of the temple is gigantic. I mean, think of the employee base of 38,000 people to do the operations of this temple. Uh, very people-heavy. Gatekeepers would have been there for both safety and housekeeping. So gatekeepers kept the place nice and tidy. And they're also spiritual tone setters. If there was behavior going on in the temple courtyard that shouldn't be going on, it was the gatekeepers that policed that behavior. So they're there to say, this is how we do things here. Clearly, the gatekeepers were not doing their job in the time of Jesus because they got people doing sales in the, in the courtyard of prayer. Instruments which David made, I'll just add in that, that, that David made, so we give him his credit where he wants it. Um, we've made the point before that mu music is clearly one of David's love. It's his great contribution to Levitical systems. So the Mosaic system has very little mention of music, but by the time we hit David, music gets added as one of the key components of what happens in the temple courtyard. And part of it is, and I think, when you're in the wilderness traveling around with a tabernacle eating manna every day, and you're experiencing the provision of God, the base provision of God doesn't really well up a heart of praise. But now that they've arrived in a city, God's put there, he's subdued their enemies, They've got a temple that's going to be in a permanent spot. There's now an institution of an entire group, 4,000 people that are, that's a pretty big worship team, that's going to be doing praise round the clock at the temple. 
And so they, this worship service of prayer and music that's going to go on is all part of the mission of the temple. The thought here, David provides a vision, but he expects other to follow, follow in it or to carry that vision. It's kind of an interesting thing we see with God's people. And this idea of giving praise is this faithful carrying out of people believing and trusting that God is worthy of that praise. The purpose of the temple was praise. The purpose of the church is praise. And that all gets mirrored over. Verse 6, David separated them into divisions amongst the Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. Those are the three kids of Levi. So you're going back hundreds of years. Uh, Numbers chapter 3 and 4 have the same divisions of the priesthood. Gershon was the building maintenance people and the groundskeepers. They mowed the lawn. They kept the place up. They, they redid the picket fences. They kept the security cameras working. That's Gershon. Kohath. Uh, housekeeping and cooks. These are the people that kept everything ready to go. The Aaronic, the Aaron, the sons of Aaron are part of the Kohath priesthood. So the Aaronic priests, not that they made errors, but that they're sons of Aaron, they were the priests or the altar keepers. They were the experts in barbecue. When there was a fellowship offering, they know how to do it just right. And so they took care of the grills. They took care of everything that had to do with housekeeping and food making for the people of God. You came to hear the word of God. You came to hear people sing the worship of God. You came for the house of prayer or the courtyard of prayer. And you came for the barbecue. And that's what the temple courtyard was all about. It was supposed to be a blessing to people. And then you got the third group, Marari. That's not an Italian car. Um, they were the architects, the inspectors, the carpenters, the stone workers. They would have overseen all of these Gentiles that were helping out with the temple construction. Marari. Gershon, Koath, Marari. And those are the groups that are divided. Now, we're going to have long lists of names here. And I've already broken the policy of not reading every single word in Chronicles. So I'm going to break it again. Uh, verses 7 through 11 have a listing of the Gershonites. And what they're doing here in Chronicles is they're naming all of the existing family groups. Because again, Ezra and Nehemiah are trying to organize for the new temple. And so they're basically saying that... that the descendants of Gershon are now the Jehath and the family of Jehush and the family of Bariah. And those families would have been ones that would have been understood as clans by the readers of this text. So it would have been saying like, so the Gershonite priests include the Dickers family, the McGrath family, the Rosen, the Rosen family, and the Vygatsky family. That's how they would have been reading this as they came back from Babylon. And they would have seen these family groups and gone, oh, okay, I know where I have to go to work. Um, verse 12 and 13, we get the sons of Kohath. They list them out as family groups. Aaron was set apart, verse 13, and he and his sons forever that he should sanctify the most holy things. The priests of Aaron, the descendants of Aaron, were the ones that took care of the altar. And they burned the incense before the Lord. That's the prayer altar inside the temple. And they ministered to him, which meant they did the showbread inside the temple. And they kept the candles lit and kept the oil in there and they kept the incense of prayer going. So inside that temple holy of holies, you had the bread of God, you had the prayer, the incense of God, and you had the light of God, which was fed by oil, oil being an image of the spirit, incense being an image of prayer, the showbread being an image of the body of Christ. There were 12 loaves for 12 tribes. And so you had these three things. Well, it was all the descendants of Aaron that would make sure that that was taken care of. Um, and, and they 
are setting up to take care of these responsibilities and to give the blessing in his name forever. The blessing is this. They would go in and do the service inside the Holy of Holies, and then they would come out and they would bless the people that were there for morning prayers and song. And the, the priest of Aaron would come out and say, God bless you and God keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he give you rest. May he take care of whoever's walking around upstairs. So that sanctification process was really important. Not all of the Levitical priests had these responsibilities. Again, some of them were just groundskeepers. But there were some that were set apart to do this work of sanctification, which is the desire to be holy and to be set apart for God. They're the full-timers. They're going to burn incense. They're going to minister. They're going to give blessing to God's name. And again, the word forever gets included. Part of what the chronicler is trying to do is to say this is a forever mandate for God's people. We always do these things. And the church hasn't stopped in doing these things. So if the church is what Jesus sets up as the new temple, the new house of God, we continue to pray by burning incense, or, or we, we continue to burn the, the symbol of incense by praying to God, which is what we do every week. Uh, we continue to minister or to hold a service where the Word of God is getting taught. We continue to maintain the Word of God. We teach it. We preach it. We help people learn it. We give the blessing to people, and we, we announce blessings to one another, and we do this until Jesus returns and he sets up a new system. So that's the mandate. Our generation then, if you're talking about forever, is part of this forever timeline. So we too have a mandate as the holy priesthood of God to be continuing in prayer, worship, ministry, and service. So that's what we do. Now the sons of Moses, the man of God, were reckoned to the tribe of Levi. Remember Moses was in this tribe. The sons of Moses were Gershon and Eleazar, different Gershon. And it goes down and it finishes the list of the Kohathites, down through verse 20. When you get to 21, you'll see it's the sons of Merari, and it starts to list those families and what they were doing. And in verse 24, we wrap up the section. These were the sons of Levi by their father's houses, the heads of the father's houses, as they were counted individually by the number of their names who did the work for the service of the house of the Lord from the age of 20 years and above. You see how David changed the age? So he just announces that, that that's there. So initially it was 30 years old. David lowers that to 20. Um, later in 2 Chronicles 29, we see that these changes are because God told David to lower the age. And that's different than David just doing it on his own. But for, they don't show that in this part of the text. So as the temple gets underway, the duties change from a mobile tabernacle to a permanent temple building. So instead of making um, leathers to go over the tabernacle, some of these jobs duties change as they now have to take care of cedar and stone and maintain that. For David said, The Lord God of Israel has given rest to his people that they may dwell in Jerusalem forever. And also to the Levites, they shall no longer carry the tabernacle or any article of service, for it is by the last words of David the Levites were numbered from 20 years old and above, because their duty was to help the sons of Aaron in the service of the house of the Lord, and in the courts and in the chambers, and in the purifying of all the holy things, and the work of the service of the house of God. Both with the showbread and the fine flour for the grain offering, with the unleavened cakes and what is baked in the pan, and what is mixed with all kinds of measures and sizes. So there's a whole bakery that gets set up that's done a very particular kind of baking. 
And even if they're younger than 20, if you're a Levite, there are still ways you can serve. You can sweep, you can learn, you can take care of things. Um, like Samuel did, he came in as a boy and was able to serve. There's other groups serving the temple too. There's no reason to think that that group of women has stopped praying outside the front. And so that group has probably now got a group that's with the tabernacle and a group that's with this new temple. To stand every morning, verse 30, to thank and praise the Lord and likewise at evening. Verse 30 is a very good passage to argue for you as entering the holy priesthood of Jesus that you should be thanking the Lord every morning and every night. And we often call this daily devotions. And at the very least, just before you crawl out of bed, just giving praise to the Lord that you woke up this morning, there's breath in your lungs. If there's breath in your lungs, you can use it to serve the king. Really simple. And likewise in the evening, you go to bed at night and you thank the Lord for what the blessing, the provision he's given. You praise the Lord and thank him for what he's given. A lot of times we think a prayer is just asking God for things. But that's not the mandate in verse 30. It's to thank and praise the Lord and likewise in the evening. It's really easy to do this too. And some people will use rote prayers where they say the same prayer every morning just because they want that habit and that rhythm. And that's for us people that need some coffee in the morning, but we still want to honor God before we get started. Verse 31, And at every presentation of a burnt offering of the Lord and on the Sabbaths and on the new moons and on the set feasts, by number according to the ordinance governing them regularly before the Lord. So every morning and night, every week at Sabbath, every month at a new moon, and then the feasts were annual events. So you had daily, weekly, monthly, and annual things that needed to be taken care of. So verse 32 of chapter 23, and that they should attend to the needs of the tabernacle of meeting, the needs of the holy place, and the needs of the sons of Aaron and their brethren in the work of the house of the Lord. You know, what's interesting to me when you read these texts, it, and honestly, like, as a believer, knowing the New Testament kind of earlier, because my church taught the New Testament, what I love about reading these is God set the whole thing up way before Jesus. Like, Jesus just had to come and say, I'm fulfilling this. If you follow me, this is what we're going to do. But these are the pieces that make sense to me. Like, if I want to honor my God, I need to think about my schedule in terms of days, weeks, months, and years. What are some of the things we do to praise and thank God for what he's done? How do we integrate that into our holidays? Amazing thing in America is most of our holidays were established to give thanks and praise to God. But they've all been co-opted, I think, as merchandise opportunities. So Christmas is no longer about Christ. Christmas is about Santa Claus. Easter isn't about the resurrection, it's about the Easter bunny, right? St. Patty's Day isn't, isn't about St. Patrick helping to save an entire nation. St. Patty's Day is about drinking green beer. And we've changed all these things and all these holidays when they should have been things that we honor God with. Well, that's an opportunity for us to share with our culture how we're a little different. No, for us, this holiday means this. And we can start to define what we do and how we do things based on how we praise and pray, uh, and give honor and thanks to the Lord. First Chronicles chapter 24. We'll do one more tonight. <laughs> and we'll do one more because I don't have a lot of commentary on this. This is just divisions of the priests, right? Now these are the divisions of the sons of Aaron. Aaron. So now we're specifically looking at the Kohathite family of Aaron. Uh, the sons Nadab and Abihu. We know that both of them died for profaning worship with their funky smoke. But then Eleazar and Ithamar are the two that are going to continue. 
native Ab and Abihu died before their father and they didn't have children when they died. Therefore, Eleazar and Ithamar ministered as the priests. Then David with Zadok the, of the sons of Eleazar and Ahimelech of the sons of Ithamar divided them according to their schedule and service. Okay, don't miss this. This is really kind of cool. It's a very minor point in the New Testament and a, a massive construct in the Old Testament. Of these two sons, you have two groups of Aaron families and they get divided up into this calendar rotation in the temple, right? And there's 24 rotations every, so that's two per month that are getting rotated in. Remember the Jewish calendar is based on the lunar cycle. So it's not quite the same as ours, but essentially they take the entire year and they divide it into 24. Two complete groups of 12 structured governance. This is how we're going to govern the temple and we're going to do it completely or we're going to do it in, in a finished way. So they were divided by lot, one group as another, for there were officials of the sanctuary, the officials of the house of God, the sons of Eleazar from the sons of Ithamar, and the scribe Shemaiah, the son of Nethanel, one of the Levites, wrote them down before the king. The leaders, Zadok the priest, Ahimelech the son of Abiathar, and the heads of the father's houses, the priests of the Levites, one father's house taken for Eleazar and one for Ithamar. So they're selecting these by lot. It's God's decision. It's random. They don't get priority based on prestige or title. They just draw a name and that gets spot number one. And they're going to draw 24 slots that come out of these families. So verses 7 through, 9, uh, through 18 give us 24 families and what order the lots fell. And there were witnesses there to see it. So nobody could claim that it was there's funny business. So everything's transparent. Um, there's no mail-in votes here. Everybody's present for the vote, and they can all see it happen. Um, everything's above, above, above board, and you get all these different family groups that get named here. Verse 19, this was the schedule of their service. What's the service? The service is to go into the Holy of Holies, switch the older showbread out for the brand-new fresh-baked showbread, which will make the, the place smell great, mix that with the cedar and the incense, the Holy of Holies is a great place to be when it just comes to fragrance. They also return or replace the incense. There would be one person that would go in. They'd have two priests on either side. One priest would have the coals for the altar for incense. The other priest would have um, be able to take things away or have other pieces that needed to get changed out. They would have oil to put in the lamps. They'd have the showbread to put on the table. And they would have new coals to put on the incense altar. The main priest, the one in the middle, would have two handfuls of incense that they would put onto the coals that would be smoke that would rise and fill the Holy of Holies with the smoke. So they would rotate this. Often, as we find by Jesus' time, um, this schedule of service of coming into the house of the Lord according to their ordinance by the hand of Aaron their father as the Lord God of Israel had commanded him. The end of verse 19, David's reading what was said in Leviticus. And he's making it happen the way he read to do it. This is not what he did with the ark, but he's learning. So this fits into a 48-week year calendar with two weeks per service. And you would come and do this. So the divisions are changed. Um, there's different names that get used. Um, but by Ezra's time with the new temple worship, they still have these 24 divisions um, in this cycle. The eighth goes to Abijah. And I just want to point that out. Luke 1 verse 5 one of the descendants of Abijah is Zacharias. When he goes in for his service in the temple, an angel meets him and tells him, you're going to have a son named John the Baptist. Remember this? So all of that's set up by this larger text, setting up this set of divisions. 
and they're still carrying this out faithfully in the temple that gets built by Ezra and Nehemiah, that temple will be the temple where the angel will meet um, Zacharias and tell him John the Baptist is coming. And he's the precursor to the Messiah. So all of this structure, all of this calendar keeping, all of the genealogies that need to be maintained is all there to provide a rock-solid foundation for the Messiah coming. And for people that knew the Old Testament, what happens when this is all described in Luke is perfect fulfillment of what's going on within the system that God commanded them to keep. So they keep it for hundreds of years, and then God works within that system to actually bring Messiah. Luke 1 uh, verse 8, so it was while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, this is where that comes from, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn the incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. This was set in motion a thousand years prior with David. And a thousand years after what we're reading today, this is part of what brings about Messiah. Verse 20, and the rest of the sons of Levi. Sons of Amram, Shabuel, goes through another list of these families, um, of Kish and Jeremiel. And then verse 30, also the sons of Mushi. I know I skipped most of it, but I wanted to read Mushi. Sons of Mushi were Meher, Adar, and Jeremoth. These were the sons of the Levites, according to their fathers' houses. So these are the different clans that are there. Other Kohathites, these are not Aaron's family or Moses' family, but they also cast lots to determine roles verse 31. These also, all these other families cast lots just as their brothers, the sons of Aaron did in the presence of King David, Zadok, Ahimelech, and the heads of the fathers' houses of the priests and Levites. So this is quite an assembly where they're drawing these lots to see what family would get what duty. And the weird thing is they would pick these duties and, and draw the lots on this, but they held those duties for hundreds of years. Many generations were, were going to do what they drew out of this hat in this thing. The chief fathers did just as their younger brothers. The old people didn't have preference over the young families. So old, young, rich, poor, doesn't matter. They're just drawing the, the duties out of a hat. The random picking meant no humanly determinant could give people preference in this process. It's whatever God wants to do and where God wants people to serve. And I think it's the way that carries forward in the church, I think, this is just my own opinion, we can talk about this, but I think God calls us to services based on what we see as a need. As soon as you get past the point of just living for yourself all the time, and you actually start asking the question, how can I serve other people? How can I be a blessing to others? You'll see opportunities to do that. And you don't, it doesn't matter who you are or what your name is. It doesn't matter what skills and talents you have. When there's that need that can be filled and you're like, man, I'd love to fill that need. You just do it. It's almost the same kind of thing. God doesn't really pick people because of their prestige in the world. And in the church, we don't do that either. People can come in the door and say, man, I was an elder so-and-so at whatever. And we're just like, cool, we got lunch after the service. Like that prestige and position just doesn't apply in a, in a healthy body of believers. So we see that God kind of does that. Here's another thought out of all these workers that we talked about tonight. Our labor and our work without God doesn't mean much, right? If, if God wasn't in the middle of this, none of these names would matter. In fact, we wouldn't even be reading these. Well, we didn't read all the names. In honor, you can go home and read the names this week for yourself. But they're pointless names without the heavenly blessing that goes with the work. 
And I and sometimes it takes a discipline to read through these sections of the Bible because it's just more names we don't know, names without faces, names without personalities, and they're just they kind of blur past you. But at the end of the day, they're written in the book of God's word to us because God sees them and God knows their personalities and God knows who they are. So they don't get a lot of worldly credit, but I think God's trying to show us he knows exactly who's serving and where and what they're doing and if they're doing it faithfully and if they're praising the Lord day and night. He knows who does these things. He sees you when you're not here. So he knows how people behave outside the church. Uh, Charles Spurgeon says this, God buries the workman, but the devil himself can't bury the work. The work is everlasting, though the workmen die. We pass away as star by star grows dim, but the eternal light is never fading. God shall have the victory. I love that. It takes a lot of pressure off us to do big things. What we need to do is God's things. Over and over, day after day, the organization can be tedious. It can be thankless. You don't get credit for it. There's a sacrifice that's given, but we're building something that has worth. And maybe it just has worth because we bless Grant every week. And God's got something he wants Grant to do. And we prepare him for that by loving on him, even though he doesn't deserve it. We include him in things, even though he's kind of a geek. And I'm saying that about Grant because he's my son. He, he, he knows I love him. But you see what I'm saying? Like we're building something that's important here. And we're doing that by creating a family out of, out of God's spirit to draw us together and bring us together. That's more important than anything we do with our own life. Any time we spend on our own business. You can live for yourself, but your name doesn't get in the book that way. Your name gets in the book by being a blessing to other people and meaning and doing something for other people. The work of God is worthy and it's eternal. And God's work comes with a lifetime of work and effort. And like David, we may not even get the credit for it. But we're going to build something because God said to build it and we're going to hand it off to the next generation. A lot of you people are young. When you start getting gray in your beard, you start thinking more about the next generation. What can I give to help the next generation carry it forward? How can I support that generation in being children of God? So there you go. And page 10 of my notes has nothing on it. So I'm going to assume that uh, the Holy Spirit erased all of my notes for page 10. Let's say a word of prayer and we'll call it a night. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. Um, Lord, help us to appreciate even long lists of names, Lord, that you are, you keep records. You understand who's doing the work and how they're doing the work. And even if we don't get seen on this life and we don't get attention by people in this life, um, Lord, we don't need the attention. We don't need the credit because we know you're watching. We know that all of our work is, is of heavenly value. Uh, Lord, I pray for each person in this room that they follow the calling you've put on their life, that nothing stands in the way of that, that they're strong, that they have courage, that they have joy, that they give thanks to you day and night. Lord, that they remember to keep, um, keep a daily practice, to keep a weekly practice, to keep a monthly practice, and to keep your holidays sacred and holy. Lord, may we honor you in everything we do. Uh, there's just nothing else that lasts and nothing else that endures. So Lord, we give our lives to you. We ask that you keep them. Lord, and if there's anybody in this room struggling with their faith, Lord, I just pray that they reach out to a brother or sister in the room and get some prayer tonight. Lord, bless us, be with us, may your Holy Spirit be among us. In Jesus' name.
you found this teaching helpful, insightful, you can support this podcast by sharing it with a friend. Screenshot it, tag it, post it on your social media.